wish it was memorized now. All right, well, let's get started. Let me open our time together with a word of prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do thank you uh, for your grace um, that you uh, show uh, to us uh, your uh, love, uh, which uh, is unmerited on our part, uh, but all the faithfulness uh, in our covenant with you belongs to you, that uh, you are a God of loving kindness and faithfulness, uh, even to the point of, of loving us that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us. Lord, we thank you um, for how uh, you're expressing your love uh, in these chapters of Jeremiah uh, for your people. Uh, you're giving uh, these beautiful promises uh, to save them, uh, to redeem them, uh, to restore them. Uh, Lord, we know that um, because of your grace, we too, uh, though uh, from the nations and from a people far off, uh, you have brought us near and you have grafted us in to your covenant people. And we praise you and thank you for that because the work is yours, it's not ours. Uh, it's not uh, because of anything uh, we've done or deserve, but uh, purely from your gracious acts uh, toward us. Uh, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, how he uh, is uh, the chief sign of that new covenant, uh, covenant uh, in his blood, a covenant that we will celebrate as we gather at the table later, later uh, this morning or afternoon. Pray that um, you would help us even as we uh, look to the past, to your, your kingdom of Israel, that you would help us uh, see our King Jesus as we look at uh, this past city of Jerusalem, that you would help us look forward to that heavenly Jerusalem, um, which will be full because of your grace. Teach us now by your spirit, we pray, and ask in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, we are in uh, chapter 31, and so as you're flipping to chapter 31, let me just briefly uh, remind you where we are. So last week in chapter 30, we started a new section of the book of Jeremiah, a section that's often called the book of hope or the book of consolation. And while Jeremiah, you know, in the first 29 chapters, you know, gave us glimpses of um, the blessings that God uh, promised for his people in the future, um, most of the first 29 chapters have focused on the covenant curses that will fall on Judah because of its idolatry and immorality. Judah will undergo the horrors of a siege, will, will, which will end with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, Judah will suffer 70 years of captivity, and exile will certainly happen. But in chapter 30, Jeremiah told us, Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. Yes, uh, Jeremiah told us Judah would experience extreme distress, but God promised that they would be saved out of it. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure. Uh, we also talked about last week, because of their sins, God declares that his people's wounds are incurable. 
No medicine could heal them. All the nations that they looked to uh, for help have abandoned and indeed mocked them. All appeared hopeless, quote, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. But as we saw last week, uh, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And God promised to restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. God promised that they would have a ruler from among them who is like a priest and able to enter into the very presence of God. And looking forward to God's restoration of his people, Jeremiah glimpsed the day when we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. God's promise for his people in that day is the same covenant promise that he made to Abraham. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So this theme of God's covenant blessings for his people continues into chapter 31. We'll see that the hope for God's people rests solely on his gracious love and faithfulness. God saves the remnant of his people. God ransoms and redeems his scattered people. God plants them in the land and showers his blessings upon them. A day is coming on which God promises to give his people a new covenant that is not written on tablets or scrolls, but on our hearts. Uh, the perceived incurable wound makes way for the peaks of grace and mercy that culminate in the repetition of God's ancient promise and the renewal of the covenant called here in Jeremiah chapter 31, his new covenant. So with that as an introduction, let me read for us. It's a long chapter, just to warn you. There's a lot here. Um, we're going to try to cover as much of it as we can um, uh, but just know we won't be able to, to unpack all the riches in this chapter. We could do an entire Sunday school uh, semester on Jeremiah chapter 31. It's just one of those chapters of the scripture. So that's all my excuse for not skipping stuff. <laughs> um, so with that as a word of introduction, uh, here is the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. 
Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from, the ha from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented, and after I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed, and I was confounded, because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself guideposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel. Return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encircles a man. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I restore their fortunes. The Lord bless you, O inhabitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together, and the farmers and those who wander with the flocks. For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on the edge. But everyone shall die for his own sin. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, by covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the seas so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundation of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill Garab and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead, bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown any more forever. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. All right, lots in here. <laughs> um, but let's start with, uh, I think, uh, verse 1. Um, some people talk about just verse 1, the capstone or of chapter 30, or is it the the turning point to chapter 31, uh, I, it can be both. <laughs> I don't think it's an either or. But I do, do think it makes um, a good declaration, a continued declaration of what he was saying in chapter 30 um, and what he will say in chapter 31. So he starts off this chapter, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they shall be my people. So what do the following verses, how do they help us to understand that declaration. Um, so maybe we can break it into two parts. What does it mean? Uh, what does it look like that he will be their God? Uh, and then what does it mean uh, for this people to be his people? Like, what does it look like? Uh, so let's start. You know, he declares, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. What does it mean? that he shall be their God. What does that look like uh, from what Jeremiah tells us in the verses that follow? Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, so two things that Teresa brings up. One, again, a key word in this chapter, just like, as in last week we saw in chapter 30, is restore. So yes, as we talked about last week, the judgment is certain. It's coming. There is no escape from that. But the promise is that God will restore his people to, to the land, and he'll do so um, because of the basis of his promises to them. Um, so as Teresa says, it's not, and, and, and indeed, this promise that I, you shall be my people and I will be your God, that's what God told Abraham. <laughs> you know, thousands of years ago, uh, before this. Um, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And so on the basis of what God had told them in the past, uh, he is promising this future of restoration. So being 
their God means they have a God who is faithful to them and whose love to them um, is not um, uh, undone by their disobedience. He's faithful even though they have not. Good. What else? Yeah, Nick. Yeah, that this idea of like what they'll be satisfied in is their God and, and in his goodness. Like, um, you know, and like they won't be like, as we kind of think of like the people in the first 29 chapters, they're satisfied with the temple. Like they're, oh, we got the temple. That's, you know, we've got the Ark of Covenant. Like we've got this stuff. We've got Jerusalem. We've got a Davidic king. Like they're, they're putting their hopes in all these things that God has given them. Um, but they're showing their dissatisfaction with God by not listening to them. Um, and what's going to change is that they will be satisfied with God. And, and notice how that comes with uh, the knowledge of God. They're going to know him. And again, when the Bible uses know, it, it, it's not just knowing about something. It's that intimate knowledge as a husband knows his wife. Like there's, there's intimacy in the relationship. And so as we think about this restoration, it's more than just a restoration to the land. They get to go back. It's fundamentally, um, the, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Like they'll, they'll be satisfied with me um, and what I bring, um, who I am. Um, they, they won't be satisfied with just stuff anymore. Good. What else do we see? To, you know, what does it mean that he will be their God. Or maybe another way to ask questions. What, what do these verses tell us about the character of God? I will build you and you shall be built. <laughs> when God does it, uh, it, it <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, yeah, and notice, you know, throughout... Uh, there, there's a couple of moments where, like, the first person shifts. Like, in the middle, we'll have a confession on the part of Ephraim. But pretty much all the action in this chapter is, is God doing things. I will build you, and you shall be built. Um, you know, he will do these things in and for his people. Um, so it's him that's doing the, the rebuilding here. It's not... Again, we kind of think, all right, we got to go back, rebuild the city, and think. But it's him that is, is doing something in and through them. He's the one who's building them, and they're going to be built. He's torn down, as he promised he would, um, but he's also being faithful to his promise to build. Good. What else stands out in these verses about God? So Ephraim, as the um, it usually is, is used as kind of the literary stand-in for 
those 10 northern tribes that got dragged off into to captivity. Um, so you had a northern king and a southern kingdom. We're talking about the whole thing, yep. So as you, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because yeah, this is not just a restoration of the southern kingdom, this is a bringing back of those people that were dragged off by the Assyrians. So it's not just the people that are, that are gonna be taken by the Babylonians, or depending on when you think Jeremiah wrote this, uh, after the people have been taken um, by the Babylonians. It's a, a complete restoration of the people of God. And notice, like with the reference to Ephraim, um, for there shall be a day, uh, this verse uh, six, for there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Now that's super significant because what was the problem with the northern kingdom from the beginning? They built their own altar. They're like, ah, we can't have people going down to Judah to worship God, so we need to create our own um, you know, religious cult system to keep people here. Um, so part of this restored Ephraim is a restoration of their attention and devotion to the Lord their God in Zion, his holy city. Good, what else do we, does we see about who God is and what he's doing for his people in these verses? Yeah, so much joyful Im imagery. And it's not just, I, I like the, the idea that it's the, uh, the young men and the old shall be merry. So this like dancing isn't just, uh, you know, the young people who have the legs for it, but the joy is, is such that they're coming back uh, um, rejoicing. Um, and, and notice also with that, that idea, like you, you get this, um, picture of them coming back, uh, verse 8, behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant women, and she who is in labor together, a great company they shall return here. So it's not just the young, the healthy, you know, the people who survive disasters, but God and his kindness are going to bring those people who quite frankly, when taken captivity, are usually dis dispatched. Like, you know, you read things like, um, for some reason, uh, um, this book, The Unredeemed Captive, which um, is about the aftermath of the Deerfield Raid in Massachusetts, where the Williams family, or most of the Williams family, is taken captive. And the, the mother, who's pregnant, you know, like they're, we're talking winter, heading toward Canada. It's very clear she's not going to make it, and they kill her on the way, like dispatch her. Uh, you know, very young children that nobody can carry, they killed them. Like the people who 
Um, when being taken captive, we see in history over and over again, the weak, the people who can't keep up, they're just killed rather than, um, rather than being uh, brought. And God, in his, his description of the care with which he's going to bring them back, he's saying, I'm going to bring back the most vulnerable uh, among them, uh, the, the weakest among them, the people most exposed among them. Um, this is not survival of the fittest. This is God's care for everyone that's being expressed here. Um, so it's a beautiful picture. Like, and you can see how the joy um, that's produced by God's redemptive action. Like, I, it, it's hard to find a redemptive word that's not in this chapter. <laughs> um, like, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So it's God's love, God's faithfulness, God's grace um, that is producing in this people this joy. He's the one um, who uh, saves your people, the remnant of Israel. Uh, he's the one who has, um, oh, I lost my, my, my uh, well, where is it? Um, the, uh, verse 11, for the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. Salvation, redemption, grace, mercy, loving kindness. Like, uh, it's, it's hard to find a, a word of God's saving action toward his people that, that Jeremiah doesn't cram into this chapter. It's a beautiful picture of God acting to save his people. So, you know, what does it mean that I will be the God of the clans of Israel? It means he will be gracious to them. He will show his love to them. He will show his faithfulness to them by saving them, redeeming them, ransoming them, restoring them. Like all these beautiful salvific words uh, are, are used to describe how God will um, act in faithfulness to his covenant toward his people. Yes, this is a term of restoration, uh, absolutely. And it's like if you, one of my favorite passages um, is over, like, like if we think of um, um, God's relationship to his people um, as Jeremiah and other prophets describing it as a marital relationship, uh, they have been adulterous. Um, they have gone after all these other gods. Uh, they've committed sin after sin after sin. Um, but yet, in his restoration of them, they're his virgin bride once again. Like, and again, like, with man, that's impossible. But with God, and, and you know, like, he has cast their sin to the farthest ends of the earth. It's not there anymore. To them, to him, he is still his virgin bride. Yeah, Dave.
<laughs> uh, hoping all week no one would ask me that question. We could just skip over it. I wouldn't have to wrestle with this. Um, all right, if I'm being honest, um, uh, there are lots of ways that that has been interpreted. I, I think the first of all, um, what, whatever it means for a woman to encircle or encompass a man, um, it, it's something that is, is being presented here as not an everyday thing, like it's something astounding and new. Um, but there are lots of different ways that people in, have interpreted. And I, I like the line um, that Walt Kaiser um, uses for this verse. Um, uh, so he, he gives all the options. Um, and after giving all the options, he, he gives, this is one of my favorite concluding sentences, I think, of all time. This text has not been completely resolved here, but it does have parts of the answer. And the complete fulfillment might have to wait until history reveals all the nuances of meaning that are in this text. <laughs> so it's one of those wait and see passages. I mean, the different options, just to kind of summarize. <laughs> So the, the options, so one option, um, especially in the early church, that this is kind of a oblique reference to the virgin birth. Uh, so that's one option. Um, Calvin uh, thought of it as a reference back um, to, uh, again, this kind of reversal of roles um, that usually it's the man who encompasses the woman to protect him, but they're like going back to that idea of, uh, of um, the pregnant woman, she's in labor to get, like these people coming back are coming back in such a position of protection and safety that a man doesn't have to encompass or protect a woman, but that a, a woman can encompass and protect a man. That, that's an option. Um, another option uh, that people have, have given, um, is this, uh, hold on, go back to the cheat sheet. Um, uh, another option uh, that people have pointed to is where in, in the past Yahweh previously surrounded his weak people in this new situation, God will reform Israel so that they will surround and willingly embrace Yahweh as never before. So the idea, like to go back to, um, uh, to this idea of him reconsidering them as his virgin bride, but uh, as he's always been the one to pursue and encompass his people. So some people take this um, in, in that context that things are, will be a change so much that they will encompass, uh, you know, Israel will encompass her husband rather than the other way around. Like, I, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know what it means. <laughs> and I, I have to live with that, sorry. <laughs> now you've just, you've, you've, you've already known, but like I deceive myself sometimes and think I know everything, but I don't. Um, but those are kind of the main options that people give. But it's, it's something new, astounding, uh, that's never been seen before. That's the kind of idea um, of, of what that day will be like. Okay, um, another kind of uh, unusual thing. So we have all this b 
beautiful picture of grace, restoration. Um, you know, uh, Dana pointed out uh, the joy of verses 13 and or 12, 13, 14. Uh, they're singing, they're dancing, they're feasting. Um, my people uh, shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And then we get in the middle of this, this joy, we get tears. So uh, verse 15, um, we have this mention of Rachel weeping for her children. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what it means for a woman to encompass a man, but I think this one uh, is, is also difficult. Um, but why is it here? So why in the midst of all this joy intrude the voice of Rachel weeping for her children? Yeah, Greg. Yeah, so this situation um, of them, uh, of the way Rachel, like, and it takes us back to, you know, remember the tragic story of Rachel, the difficulty with which um, she, uh, the difficulty with her becoming pregnant. Uh, she dies giving birth to her second uh, son, Benjamin. Uh, hers, so her sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Um, Joseph is represented in those two tribes of, of Ephraim and Manasseh, his two sons. So again, thinking of that reference to the Ephraim as, as representing the northern, all the northern tribes that get taken into captivity, her children are lost. They're scattered, they're destroyed. Um, and then the, the mention of place here, a voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. Uh, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 40. So this is, um, this is, uh, Ju Jerusalem has just fallen. Um, the people are being taken off into captivity. Uh, and this is the word of the Lord uh, that uh, came to Jeremiah. So chapter 40, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. So if so Rama is where everybody passes on their way out of the land. Um, it's, in, it's in the north, and remember, even though they're going east, uh, they're following the Fertile Crescent, so they, they go north to get out and to go toward Babylon. So they're literally going by this place, Rama, and we see that's the place where, uh, even though Jeremiah has been taken in chains along with the active other captives, he gets released and sent back um, at that place. So it's this place of, it's kind of like, you know, the border. Like you're, you're on the way out of the land. Um, and it's a picture of a mother weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted uh, for her children because they are no more. They're, you know, you know they're, they're gone. They're gone from the land. Um, this verse gets quoted in the, the New Testament. Anybody know where? 
you're spot on. Yeah, so it's Matthew uh, chapter, or uh, yeah, I think it's chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 18, where Herod um, massacres, uh, you know, every child uh, under, every boy child under the age of two to prevent this coming Messiah, to prevent this this. Uh, rival, and in that context, these verses are, are spoken. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Rama, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. So it's, um, you know, in uh, this verse, Matthew describes it as um, being fulfilled in Herod's vile act of slaughtering all the children in Bethlehem in order to kill the child and um, the one who is to be king of the Jews. So as we kind of think of it, um, the destruction of the people of, of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and the later destruction of the Judeans by Babylon, uh, who both, you know, again, exited the land uh, going by Rama, um, is a kind of massacre of the infants. So it kind of the events that happened to them presages this massacre of the infants that Herod does later. Um, the exiles will weep as Rachel had once wept for her children uh, as they passed uh, her gravesite on their way to exile. So it's that idea of mourning for children who are lost. So how does God respond to that weeping? So we have this expression of mourning, deep mourning, of, of loss, um, and how does God respond? Thirty-one. So um, yeah, we're in Jeremiah. So we can wait till Matthew to do more <laughs> of of Herod, but back in thirty-one. So verse, verse 15, we have the voice of lamentation and bitter weeping. And how does God respond? What's God's response to that weeping? Yes, so like... You know, keep your eyes from weeping, uh, or keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There's hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. So it's this picture of, like, and imagine, like, as the people are, are weeping, um, uh, like the lamentation, they're being dragged from the land, and so it's this kind of moment where there's, there's lamentation being expressed. But even in the midst of that lamentation, uh, as Teresa says, God says, there is hope. There's hope for you. Your children shall come back to their own country. I have heard Ephraim grieving. Like he's heard the grieving of, of the mothers for a child. He's heard the grieving of the people. And notice the form their grief takes is repentance. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord. For after I turned away, I relented, and after I was instruct, 
instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. So it's this picture of cease the, the weeping and put on repentance um, is the idea here. And so uh, he's heard Ephraim, what they really need to, to grieve over isn't the loss, you know, the exile. They need to grieve over their sin. And that is the, the thing that helps bring about their restoration. That's what God is going to respond to. That's how the, where the hope comes from. Scattered to the ends of the earth? No, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is it's the way he's looking at this initial restoration, um, this initial coming back to Jerusalem, but it's the foreshadowing of this, this ultimate bringing people from, that are scattered to the ends of the earth to this holy city that is different because clearly, um, you know, he gives this description of Jerusalem at the end rebuilt it shall not be uprooted or overthrown anymore forever. Well, we know Jerusalem gets <laughs> leveled by the Romans <laughs> um, a few hundred years later. Um, but we get the picture of a Jerusalem. Hold on, let me. Uh, so we get a couple of Jerusalem. So the first one, maybe we can take. Uh, it, it's pointing to this eternal city. So let's flip first to Revelation chapter 21. <laughs> it's yeah it's a it's it's the way that that you know it's the way that Jeremiah and God is through Jeremiah is showing him and giving them hope about the literal restoration but also looking forward to this eternal restoration where where all things are perfected and made new and so in Re revelation chapter 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be, himself will be with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. So notice how much of that language from Revelation about the eternal Jerusalem sounds, we have a lot of that language here. Um, another place um, in the New Testament uh, where we see this, hold on, got to get to the right place in my notes. Um, is Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, 
For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So again, that reference to new covenant, we see smack dab here in Jeremiah chapter 31, that he's, he's looking forward to approximate restoration that's going to take place in time after 70 years of captivity where the Judeans come back. But he's looking even more toward this ultimate restoration where the these tribes who've been scattered to the ends of the earth, like nobody knows where they are. Um, the farthest parts of the earth, you know, they're going to be brought back. Um, and the nations are included in here as well. Like, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlines far away. He who scattered Israel, gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. So it's looking forward to this eternal Jerusalem that God will establish where, um, you know, everything will be perfected. Um, so he's using the initial return of captivity and, and, you know, redemption of his people from Babylon to talk about the redemption of people uh, from their sin and the eternal life um, that will be given. Yeah, Dave. They're scattered. Like they, what what really happens is they lose their coherence as a distinct tribe. Like, so it's they disappear. Um, so when we think about it, like that's. Well, and every tribe. Well, every tribe was there before the kingdoms were split because that's where God's holy place was and that's where everybody was supposed to come and worship. And yeah, that there were still true followers of Yahweh who made the journey to Jerusalem and didn't go worship these uh, golden calves that are set up in the northern tribes. Um, but Jerusalem, again, is the, the city, this mountain that's being described here, where God's presence is. Um, and that is what, to, to go back to what Nick said earlier, that's, people shall be satisfied with my goodness. People shall know me. It's the presence of God that's bringing um, the blessing. And it's to be in the eternal presence of God um, is what, 
characterizes life in this new Jerusalem, uh, and that is the place um, that you know will never be moved, destroyed, can be measured out just as Jeremiah is giving these measurements at the end. So too, we see this measuring going on in the book of Revelation, that it's a, a real place that will be filled with God's real people that are drawn from every tribe, nation, tongue, uh, Jew and Gentile alike, that they're all part of the fulfillment of this new covenant that he is declaring in chapter 31. So with that, um, what, what, is, what is new about the new covenant that Jeremiah talks about? Um, in verses 31 to 34, just uh, this is the longest uh, quotation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, or is a quotation of the entirety of verses 31 through 34 in the book of Hebrews. It's also, um, the phrase New Covenant is used in multiple places uh, in the New Testament as well, as we've already seen um, <clears throat> from that verse of Hebrews I read just a moment ago. Um, so what's, what's new about this new covenant? Yeah, Greg. Yeah, it's, it's not coming to them on tablets of stone. It's not coming to them on a parchment document. The law is going to be written on their heart. Um, and as we think about the substance of that, that promise, um, in reality, that's not, um, that's not new. Uh, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse uh, 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So, you know, this idea of God doing this work on a person's heart. Um, but notice why it has to be inward. Uh, you know, the, the emphasis here, um, the old covenant um, wasn't insufficient. Uh, it itself wasn't insufficient. It was the peoples uh, that were the problem. Um, I took them by my hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Like the problem um, with that, you know, external covenant is it was being broken constantly. Um, so he's looking forward to this new covenant that, that will be unbroken because God is doing a work in their hearts. And he is, as we think, see the uh, uh, unworking of this, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So Hebrews takes us up over the course of three chapters. <laughs> uh, again, we could spend weeks on on just this passage and how it gets used in the New Testament. But um, Hebrews takes this up and it's like, yeah, that old covenant, they had to come constantly and, and make sacrifices for their sins. 
over and over and over again. The priest had to make sacrifices for himself before he could turn around and make sacrifices for the people. And now in this new covenant, that's done. You know, one sacrifice has taken care of all sin for all time. That perfect sacrifice of Jesus, that perfect high priest, uh, has dealt with sin uh, for eternity um, and, and has written that law on our hearts. Um, and we, 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 we don't have to constantly go back and, and sacrifice for sins because the sacrifice has been made once for all time. Um, so as we think of this new covenant, it's this beautiful picture of God doing a work to perfect his people because they could never be perfected through their mere external uh, performance of the law because they broke it again and again and again and again. The content of the covenant's the same. Notice like it's not, yeah, that whole I will be your God and you'll be my people stuff wasn't working, so we'll try something new. <laughs> no, it's I'll be your God, you will be my people. Um, but I'm going to do uh, just as God did when he walked through those broken pieces in, in uh, Abraham's um, vision that you know, he's going to fulfill both sides of the covenant for us. And he's going to do that inward work uh, that, that has to be done uh, in order for us to spend eternity in the presence of a holy, holy God. Sin has to be definitively and determinately eliminated. And that is, he's saying, I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to take your sin away from you. Good, what else? Um, man, this, this went really fast. <laughs> I kind of like want to do a, another week on it, but I promised uh, Mike Lee, who's filling in with, for me in two weeks, that he could do chapter 33. So <laughs> I don't want to like, I told him that like three weeks ago, so I don't want him to prepare for something. Um, <laughs> but, but it's this, you know, uh, again, amazing portrait of what God declares he's going to do. Um, in this new covenant of God, there's inwardness, it's on our hearts, there's fellowship, they shall all know me, um, from the least of them declares the great, to the greatest declares the Lord. Uh, there's individualism, um, it's not just dealing with the people as a group, but with every heart. Now he's writing it on some people's hearts. He's writing it on every heart. Um, so it's, uh, it's not being mediated um, by a Moses representing the people. It's God doing a work in each and in every individual's heart. Um, and it's God. Notice all the verbs. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my Torah, my law, in their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sin no more. The initiative, responsibility for carrying out this covenant is all together with God and nothing on the part of the people of Israel. It's all his loving, gracious action toward them. Um, it's a beautiful picture of God's love for his people and the links to which God goes to save his people, to redeem them, to restore them, not just 
in present circumstances, but for eternity. Yeah, like, it, it is a beautiful pick. Like, you know, do you not think that God, God's, can do this? <laughs> well, when all those things that, you know, this order of creation that has been established, when that disappears, then maybe you can say, well, maybe God can't do this. <laughs> but the God who, who made all things, who fixed the order, um, if that fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. So it's like, yeah, it's pointing to the visible um, uh, order of creation and saying, look, it, it, it's this beautiful picture of assurance. Like, look at that. If that disappears, then, then you can start worrying about my love for you. <laughs> if that disappears, you can, you can start, you know, questioning my faithfulness. But until that happens... Uh, <laughs> um, that is the sign that I will do what I've promised to do for you. Like it's, it's taking like the fixed position and sort of like when you have doubts, when you have fears, when you wonder, does God really care for me? Look at that. Like that, that is the visible assurance or part of the visible assurance that God is giving of his continued love and faithfulness for his people. Yeah, Dave. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think fundamentally they're just synonyms, like they're different words for the, uh, the evil actions that we do, the unrighteous actions we do, um, you know, uh, the root uh, for for one of the words is is miss the mark. Um, it's that idea that you know we're we're not performing to the state. Yes. No. It, it's and again the the focus here is on the individual. For they shall all know me from the least of them declares the to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So it's the there there is each, every individual person. All right, well, uh, we're at time. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Gracious God, you, <laughs> you are uh, good. Uh, you are the definition of, of goodness um, that, and we see that uh, in the great love that you display uh, for your people. Lord, you uh, prophesy of that love and that faithfulness here, um, but we as those uh, on the other side uh, of the cross uh, see that love uh, displayed uh, in our crucified Savior, um, knowing that he was uh, nailed 
uh, to that tree uh, because of, of our sin, because of the wrath that our sin deserved. Um, and that we can see in that empty tomb that uh, as he conquered sin and death, uh, that we uh, have life in and through him, uh, life eternally uh, in your heavenly kingdom uh, where uh, we can be in your presence uh, and, and not afraid, uh, but joyful, not afraid because of our sin, but uh, rejoicing in the glory of who you are and in the glory, uh, glorious things that you've done for your people. Give us a taste of that joy and a glimpse of that glory uh, even as we come to worship you in this coming hour and as we gather around uh, the table of what Christ called uh, the table of this new covenant, uh, new covenant uh, written in his blood. Uh, help us to uh, be partakers of that covenant uh, with him uh, by which and through which uh, we see how our sins are forgiven and how we feast on the goodness uh, of all the gifts and all the grace that you shower upon your people. Uh, give us uh, hearts to rejoice in you even as we come to worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.